Hey everybody, it's me, it's Sean Harwell. You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. This is the podcast where we talk all about the movies that have slipped through our cracks and lungs. And I'm joined today by the crack extraordinaire himself, my co-host Craig Moorhead. Craig, please entertain the folks at least for five seconds. Go. Uh, what do you call, what did, uh, what did the Scarecrow, uh, why did the Scarecrow get an award? Uh, why? Because he was outstanding in his field. Hey, that's good. That's good. I like that. Did your daughter or son tell you that like 10 minutes before we recorded? Or did you just pull that out of well, a straw hat? Rather, I, I taught that joke to them. That was one of my sort of go-to dad jokes. But yeah, awesome. so so uh, yeah, I'm a joke teller. I'm also a truth teller, Sean. And uh, the truth I have to tell everyone today is that uh, you can find us online. Thank you so much for coming and listening. And you know this... This uh, program, this organization that Sean and I are the presidents of, co-presidents, is a very deep organization. There's a lot going yeah. on. So you can you can find us online at uh, neverheardpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look for us. If you need to find us, if you need to tell us something, you can reach out and tell us. We'll listen. We're good listeners. Thanks, to everybody, for listening to Darling. We got a lot of listens on that mm-hmm. one. It was an interesting movie and a, and a fun discussion of a movie that was probably a good bit ahead of its time. Also, thanks to the folks for not minding too much that we took another week off because I couldn't talk very well. <laughs> and I'm still getting my voice back at a very bad, long, cold, it seems. It's still got its hooks in me. And uh, I don't know. It might be kind of fun to hear... Uh, next week's episode, the tee up, we we you know we've already had in the can for a little while, so mm-hmm. yeah, there'll be like you know it's like musical chairs of my voice here to see which which is which. Uh, hopefully, it's not too bad. And if I cough too much, you're gonna want to ride that volume button because we're not cutting any of it out. No, no compression, no <laughs> cutting, but uh, a full refund if you request it in writing. If you paid for this podcast, right. Craig, how are you? I'm doing all right, Sean. How are you doing besides your uh, health woes? Besides the cough, I can't complain, man. It's uh, been a, a good couple of weeks. Had some fun. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving's just around the corner here, and that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I think this episode, as a matter of fact, will drop the day before. Yeah. We've already got our meal ordered and planned. we got family coming in. Uh, all we have to do is reheat it and then clean up afterwards. And uh, I'm ready to dive in and uh, eat a lot. How about you? I am uh, likewise looking forward to the whole get-together. Probably see some family we haven't seen in a while, which is fantastic. Yeah, man, just looking forward to, to doing that thing, eating some turkeys and hams. Maybe even watch some movies. That'd be great. And since we're on the subject, Craig, I need to ask you something. Mm. What else have you watched? Oh, man. I'm glad you asked that, Sean. Wow. I mean, I, we really haven't talked in a while, it seems like. We haven't done... Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess it really has been a while. Uh, I mean, you probably got like a list of like 40 or 50, right? Uh, well, maybe four. Let's let's put it at four. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, because I, Slightly less. Because I remember I went into into October deciding like I was going to watch a lot of scary movies. Yeah, you did. And, uh, and I can't believe we, we haven't talked... I don't think we've talked about any of them since... No, it's been yeah, a while, it's yeah. it's been a good long while. So anyway... Let's do it. So the first two movies I watched, 
were Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery 2, Sean. And that's T-O-O, right? I wish. I really, <laughs> really wish it was. I know. <laughs> Sadly, it's not. How did those hold up for you? Not not super great. And it's interesting because I like uh, as a kid, I really loved Pet Cemetery. Loved the yeah, book, of course. So I'm a little worried to go back and revisit that. Although I, I imagine it holds up a little better. But yeah, I mean, Pet Cemetery, the 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 movie, just felt really threadbare to me for some reason. It just felt like there wasn't nearly as much there as there used to be. And that could very well right. be just my fault, what I'm bringing to it now. So I went online, I, I looked up a bunch of stuff about it, read a bunch of stuff, and people really hold it in high regard. So I'm kind of kind of wrestling with that a little bit because, man, so much of it did not feel... You know, it's a movie where <laughs> where, uh, where at the beginning of it, the, the neighbor who I guess you, you can't really tell if he's a good guy or a bad guy is like, hey, I know your cat got run over, but if you bury it over there in the Indian burial ground, it'll come back, even though I have two stories about that happening where the person came back and it was horrible for everyone involved. But why not try it? And so, You know, if you love your cat, you'll do it. Sure. If you don't, you just don't. You're a terrible person. So Yeah. And so, and so then, you know, the guy does that. This is the whole, you know... The whole draw of the movie, like I, as a kid, sure. this was all I wanted. This is the exciting part, and then things are going to come back from the dead. Yeah. So then the guys, spoiler alert, the guy's kid gets hit by a truck, and like all that stuff is set up really well, and 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 the moment is very effective in the movie. Like that's, I don't feel like yeah. that moment has ever uh, lost any of its uh, power. Honestly, I think the kid is super cute, and like the way they shot it was just, it's horrible. But. uh but then, of course, the dad is thinking, well, maybe I'll bury my kid over there. Because even though my neighbor told me two horrible stories about it happening, uh, the, th- the things that came back from that burial ground were terrible. And besides the fact that I buried a dead cat over there and the dead cat came back and all it does is hiss at me and scratch me, maybe this time it'll work. And, and, and like by that point in the movie, I was just kind of like, I'm not buying any of this. Like you didn't, you, you didn't give me enough of his grief or something. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, no, that's a terrible idea. Like that, I nothing, nothing would be worse at this point than seeing what your son would be like if he came back out of the ground. I, I don't know. So anyway, wasn't into it. That, that's my longest spiel of any of the movies. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's getting a reboot, so yeah, you know, maybe they'll have a chance to correct some of those things that didn't work for you, or maybe it just will work worse in a different, maybe. more modern way. <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's there's always a chance that I do not <laughs> yeah. get it. And Pet Cemetery Two is kind of a weird, enjoyable mess of a movie. Could never tell if it was a comedy or supposed to be more <laughs> of a drama. Was it supposed to be scary at the end? As as you see the 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 people driving away, whoever survives is driving away, and they have little insets of of faces of the people who died during the movie. And I was just like, this is the weirdest huh. choice I've ever... This is really bizarre. That is weird, yeah. But it's a, it's yeah, it's a good one to check out if you haven't in a while because it's it's very strange, that one is. Well, you know, it's a premise that just screams, you got to have a sequel, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't have enough enough movies of your pets coming back to life. Yeah, so. exactly. And besides that, two, the two other movies I watched, I watched Cat People on our wonderful Filmstruck. And Cat People is just a great movie. I believe that was also from 1942. As is my beloved Casablanca. I mean, really, very neat movie. Scary? No. Not going to say scary, but definitely a movie that's so awesome to watch in that uh, it's a a very formal movie. 
Interesting. And there's very uh, there's a lot of craft there that's really cool to see. A lot of shadows and suggestive things. And since, you know, their computers weren't quite as good back then. They weren't? No, no. They were like Intel, like Intel 2 chips or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Which is uh, scarier, cat people or cats, the Broadway musical? Oh, shit. I, I know the answer to this. I'll say scat, cat, scats. <laughs> no, uh, cats, cats are definitely uh, cat, terrifying. Cats, the musical is scarier for scarier? different reasons. Really? Yeah. Okay. But the last movie, and I, I save this for last because this is the movie that really stuck with me and creeped me out the most over time, is the movie Hereditary. Oh yeah. Okay. It had a lot of build up. I ignored what it was supposed to be about completely. I didn't watch trailers that I didn't read up about it, and I watched it. And uh, it's a really pretty incredible mix because there's a lot of good creepy stuff. There's some very good dramatic stuff. And there's some stuff that I'm still not sure if they were playing it for laughs or not. And in a weird way, I feel like it would work as laughs. And there are other stuff that's totally, definitely 100% not laughs. But there are certain bits in it that are like, that was like beautiful comic timing. If so much horrifying stuff wasn't happening right now, gotcha. like that would have been funny. But definitely warning to anyone who goes to view it, who was like me, didn't know anything about it. Very unsettling things happening in this movie throughout. I saw the trailer in the theater and it it was quite creepy. Oh, yeah. And then I I had another friend this weekend mention that she had seen it. And uh, there's a guy in there that had a very brief, small role in the third season of, of Red Oak. So now I'm like, oh, okay, I need to go. Oh, yeah. Go check this movie out and see if I can find him as well. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's on my to-do list for sure. That one looks pretty creepy. Yeah, it will mess you up, Sean. It'll mess you right up. Will it cure a cold? Maybe. Okay. If you stop breathing completely. I guess that cures the it, The yeah. cold will definitely go. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. I, and, and, that, and that was true, actually. Cool. There is a moment in that movie where I realized I was holding my breath. And I was like, oh, wow. that has not happened in a long time. Not since Pet Cemetery 2, it Not like. since... <laughs> The <laughs> Clancy Brown uh, came back from the dead in Pet Cemetery 2. Is he in that movie? He is. I mean, that's oh, the man. thing. There's, okay. there's really good things about the movie. Yeah. It's a really weird mixed bag. Probably a great movie to watch with a lot of friends. Or a lot of animals. Or, or yeah, or just get, <laughs> like get all animal animals friends. together and they'll let you know what it's about. But Sean, what did you watch? I got a couple things here on um, my listies. Yeah. Like you, I've been trying to watch some stuff on Filmstruck, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give a little update on, on that front in just a minute. But uh, I watched The Candidate, the 1972 Robert Redford starring movie, which the poster in uh, VHS box art was always very familiar to me. It's Redford in front of a flag mm-hmm. blowing a large bubble with bubble gum. That's very non-politician-like, I guess you might say. I like this movie. You know, it, it's definitely a 70s flick in that it's got this kind of cool tone to it. It never really spilled over, and I was kind of wanting it to. I got to say, by the end of it, I was just like, I was waiting for that big moment to pop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, not literally the bubble to pop, but um, right. uh, it didn't quite happen. You know, I think that's okay. I don't think that's necessarily a fault of the movie, it's just my expectations. And a really nice performance from Peter Boyle who has a beard in this movie, which, you know, I don't know. A beard? I know. Like, I think of him as being a bit older and, and bald and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. oh, he's a young man, very suave political strategist with a beard. So check that out if you're of the mind to do so. I watched It Follows, Craig. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to watch a little horror as well and stumbled on that on, uh, I think that's on Netflix. If, I, I think that's so. where I saw it. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, some very effective creepiness in there. Yeah, there is some cool creepiness. I, I didn't love it. I mean, I think yeah. it's one of those movies. I really wanted to like this movie. I just, mm-hmm. you know, it was like one of those horror movies that kind of like jumped out over the, you know, just the sort of like the standard fare it seemed like from a couple of years ago, you know, with the witch and, and all these other, mm-hmm. you know, even I like lump hereditary in these like same category. And I don't know, I had a little, little struggle with suspending disbelief as far as the, like the fear itself in this movie of like what they're scared of just like the, the people following them like coming towards them yeah and you know it's a weird thing because i was thinking about later i was like that would be terrifying in real life like absolutely like that would scare the crap sure. out of me for some reason the movie was just like well okay right like kill somebody and then i'll be scared you know i don't know it was just a weird thing right. I, i'd like to see it again but but really nicely nicely made i thought and, and looks good and good performances and just an interesting movie for sure yeah. Next one, I did flip back to Filmstruck and watched Good Morning, the 1959 movie by uh, the Japanese director Ozu. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to try to pronounce his first name. I feel like I've seen some more of his movies, although I, I couldn't name them offhand. But, but this one, Craig, I had heard about specifically because of the instances of fart jokes in this movie, which yes, <laughs> not necessarily Very something important. yeah you think of maybe when you think of Japanese cinema. But, oh, man, th- this movie is filled with farts. There's so much farting in this movie, and it's great. Um, <laughs> I would almost pin this as om- like a borderline Wes Anderson kind of comedy. It's just like this domestic, very small sort of slice of life, sweet little thing that really centers around these two siblings, these two boys who get so pissed and demand that their mom buy them a television set that they take a vow of silence when she refuses. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, how long are they going to stick this out and everything else is going on? But it's, it's, really, it's really cool. I, I definitely, you know, we got a couple, couple weeks left here uh, or days to kind of maybe squeeze this in, no pun intended or pun mm. intended, for Filmstruck. And uh, I would, I'd put it on your list. It's a, it's a neat one. I will. So, so they, 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 they communicate solely through farting then? Uh, sadly, no, but they did, uh, there is still farting going on after the vow of silence, for sure. It does not particularly pertain to their buttholes, so that's okay. good to know. <coughs> Rewatch The Big Lebowski that just popped up in 4K on Apple TV and uh, yeah. lo- looks fantastic, sounds great. I mean, I don't know if there's anything else to say about this movie, but I did notice this time just how quickly it gets into it. You know, you really hit the ground running, and there's very little fat up front on this movie which is kind of fun for something that, you know, the plot is sort of all over the place, (laughs) you know, in the last part of the movie. But yeah, I mean, you got the first scene really is uh, these guys breaking into his house, thinking he's the other Lebowski. He goes bowling you meet Walter, you meet Donnie. And then he goes to the big Lebowski himself and uh, gets the rug. And like, that's it. You're off and running, you know? Yeah. There was a line of dialogue that I think I've been mishearing for 20 years now that I finally realized what he's actually saying, which I don't know. Do you care about that? Sure, I, get... I absolutely do. It's at the bowling alley. The scene where I think Walter shows up late with the Pomeranian in the bag, right? Yeah. Bashimi and Bridges are already there. John Goodman asks about, you know, they, they scheduled the league game or whatever. And he's like, when is it? It was like Saturday. It's like, I don't roll on Saturday, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He says something about who's the guy down at the, uh, at the league and Bashimi answers, 
and f- all this time, I thought John Goodman said, I've told that crowd down there a thousand times. I love saying crowd, C-R-O-D, <laughs> O-W-D. He's saying kraut, kraut K-R-A-U-T, yeah. like, all this time. Never knew that. That's what, uh, that's what 4K does for you. You can actually see his lips, his tongue making the t- sound. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. No, I think it was like I finally realized that, oh, the name that Bashimi gives, uh, it's sort of a German-sounding name. And so, yeah. Man, <laughs> I, That's I, terrible. I, I should have turned that. the subtitles on a long time ago. This was never happened, right? I was going to say, I, I'm glad you say that because I am uh, mostly with songs. I think a lot of people are too, but, man, song lyrics, like I still, like songs I've listened to for 30 years. Yeah. One day I'll oh. be like, oh, no, that, oh. That's my wife, okay. yes. I'm, I butcher them. Oh, man. And then the last one I want to mention here, though, and then we'll move on, uh, is Film Worker, the documentary from 2017. That is also on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. If you're a film fan at all, you got to see this movie. It is about yet another documentary about one of the people that worked with Stanley Kubrick for 30 years. Uh, this time it's Leon Vitale, who was also in Barry Lyndon. He played sort of the son, stepson, if you will, of uh, Ryan O'Neill when he marries into wealth and prominence and uh, later just kind of became Kubrick's everything, his right-hand man, basically, on yeah. set and in production. It's a really, really interesting movie. He's a really interesting, interesting person who knows everything, and it, it seems like Anytime you watch a Kubrick movie from now, you know, anything after 1999 and any version that's good, we have him to thank um, because he's overseen it, I think, and will continue to do so, hopefully, as long as he's with us. So check that out. You won't regret it. It's a good one. Damn. You had a good run. Next time we talk, it'll be a much shorter list, I bet. Anyway, (laughs) Craig, uh, I wanted to give a quick update just because I read this today. Uh, Deadline.com had a story about the fact that both Spielberg and Scorsese have spoken to Warner Brothers in the attempt to to do something with Filmstruck and and hopefully save it. And after that, there was a group of directors uh, that includes Paul Thomas Anderson and uh, Damien Chazelle, Guillermo de Tormo... Guillermo del Toro, sorry, mm. Barry Jenkins, Barbara freaking Streisand, Christopher Nolan. I mean, cream of the crop. A lot of these guys like Christopher Nolan are Warner Brothers guys. Yeah. And they sent a letter to Toby Emmerich, the head over there, asking to save Filmstruck. And it, it seems like it may have a future. That's the quote from Deadline. Man. Um, that there may be a future there. It could take a year and still be part of this new streaming service that Warner's is hoping to announce but hopefully I mean I think the big fear is that it just doesn't resemble anything like its current version because that's what people like about the current it's not so much the content because the content comes and goes we know that that's what you sign up for when you're you sign up for a subscription service but it's the way it's presented which I think is my biggest fear is that if it's just like stuck in this behemoth Right. That that takes away all the sort of n- neat things that, that Filmstruck was doing. So hopefully, yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe there's some good news here. I did, there's a petition floating around from change.org. I did sign up. I mean, I think originally the guy was like hoping to get 5,000. And he's, I mean, I think he's past 50,000 at this point, signatures, including a lot of these people. So look for it. Maybe we'll throw up a link. I was very, very skeptical <laughs> when I added my name to this to begin with. I just thought it was a done deal. It already sounded like it is. It, yeah. But maybe it's not. Maybe there's there's something that this massive list of, of people that want to see this thing exist uh, will have some influence on the powers that be, Craig. Yeah, well, you know, and, and 
I, I read a thing about Barry Jenkins talking about Filmstruck, and and I think this is another reason why Filmstruck is such a great such a great service, you know, as compared to your larger, you know, Hulu's, Amazon's, Netflix's, which is what I assume Warner Media is going to want to do. Yeah, but, I think uh, so. But Barry was saying that he was talking to, you know, one of the higher-ups over at Filmstruck and mentioning this movie that he loved, and the person was like, oh, well, I haven't heard of that. And, like, within a week or something, they had licensed the movie and put it on Filmstruck. Wow. And it's like, I don't see that happening with the Netflix. Probably not. You know what I mean? Like, the, the fact that that kind of thing could be happening, and just that you know when you go to Filmstruck, like, this is, these are the kinds of movies you can kind of get your hands on. Yeah, and with all the commentary and all that stuff, man, I was looking at it yesterday. It was just making me sad because there's so much stuff I want to watch that's on there. Yeah. But anyway, that would be great news. Yeah, I mean, I really think it, it is sort of the film school of streaming sites, if that makes yeah. any type of sense. Like, there's an education to be had from mm -hmm. the content they have and the way that they've put it together. And that's not to just say that it's completely old films. There's a bunch of new stuff on there, too. But yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, maybe there's some more good news next time we do one of these episodes. But today, let's talk about a movie that we watched on Filmstruck. Uh, we teed it up right after Halloween. Thank mm -hmm. you for bearing with us through the delay here. But this movie is called Hopscotch. Hopscotch. Take a look at this man. You've seen him before. He used to be one of our best CIA agents. I could make a run for it, you know. Come on, Yaska. You running, me chasing you, we'd look like Laurel and Hardy. And this woman, another familiar face. Her sharp tongue. Oh, where have you been, you old goat? And her quick wit. You're insane. Made her a doggone good spy. But now, these two are wanted all over the world for threatening to sing about every secret they know. Pollock says that a guy that looked like him crossed over into Switzerland a couple of days ago singing The Barber of Seville. Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson are playing a game called Hopscotch. Good title. It's a good title, 1980. You got Walter Matthau, you got uh, Glenda Jackson in the two big roles. Sam Watterson is making an appearance, and lovable Ned Beatty is there as well. This movie was directed by, where did we land on the last name? Ronald Neem? Neem. Is that how we were? That's right. Yep, Neem. Uh, written by uh, Brian Garfield and others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brian Forbes, excuse mm -hmm. me, sorry. Brian Garfield did the novel, though. You hadn't seen it. Mm -mm. You knew of it. Yeah. You knew enough to at least recommend it for this podcast that we do. I'll do the IMDb synopsis real quick, and then I'd love to hear what you think. All right. <coughs> right after I cough. Mm-hmm. So at an hour and 46 minutes, is an adventure comedy that IMDb tells us. Grounded with a desk job by incompetent superiors, a clever CIA agent retires and writes a tell-all memoir that will embarrass his bosses, prompting him to go on the run and elude them. That's a pretty accurate yeah. uh, synopsis for that once. That sounds right. So with that in mind, Craig, what did you think of this movie about the CIA agent who retires? Man, I mean, it was a pleasant thriller. It's one of those <laughs> early yep. 80s pleasant thrillers, <laughs> as uh, Ebert might say. Yeah. We talked about that in the tee-up, that review from Ebert. And, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I was hoping for something, like, more convoluted or some kind of more of maybe a mystery or a caper to go on, necessarily. But it's not an excitable movie. Lots of good bits. 
Mm-hmm. Really good cast. I can't really say I was bored watching it, but at the same time, at the end, yeah, it kind of felt it kind of felt like a whimper more than a bang. What about you? I think that's fair. Yeah, I want to be clear that I definitely enjoyed this movie, and I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I have a hard time picking out anything that's particularly weak about it necessarily. Um, because it feels like this must have been their goal in mind when they're making mm-hmm. this right. I mean, um, it's a cat and mouse movie. The cat and the mouse are both kind of likable or fun, at least, you know. Right. There's never any real worry that uh, Mathau's actually going to get killed by anybody, I don't think. A lot of people seem to think so. Oh, oh for sure. Including yes. his character, but but yeah, yeah, the viewer, not so much. That would be very uncharacteristic of how this movie feels. And that's okay, because that's that's most thrillers, right? You know, you're, you're not watching Mission Impossible thinking that Tom Cruise is going to get it in the end, right? Sure. Although that would be amazing. But what you are watching for is those thrilling moments where it feels like it's it's coming close, at least, right? Sure, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that movie, this movie, sorry, it just uh, yeah, it doesn't have a ton of those. No. I don't know if that plays a little more just into the fact of Mathau as a leading man is, you know, he's not a spring chicken here. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting a ton of stunts out of him. Right. And what he's great at is is, his comedy is, you know, is playing that straight man. So I I think they play to his strengths. It would have been a very, very different movie had they gotten, who was it, Warren Beatty and Jane Fonda, I think. Yeah. And if they had maybe veered a little closer to what the novel sounds like. Right. So all that stuff is interesting to think about. But yeah, what we're left with is the movie that we got. I think Pleasant Thriller is the absolute perfect way to describe it. My beef with that, I think, is is in line with what you're saying, though, is I felt like if it's just going to be cat and mouse, you hope there's one other layer to it, right? Yeah. Something that's like a little more depth. And there really just isn't here, I don't think. Mm -mm. And to the point where, let's talk about this. Because this is the setup for the whole thing. I found myself wondering a little bit about why exactly he's doing this. Yeah. Is it just to have fun? Because it seems like he's having fun. Sure. Now, Craig, you tell me. You know, we know our synopsis. He's been sent to the inferior job, right? And we know that after the opening. Right. Basically, his superior, Ned Beatty, thinks that he missed an opportunity to nab a Russian KGB officer or agent. Right. He sends basically Mathau to the file room. Mathau then, I think, shreds some of his own documents mm-hmm. and skips town. It happened so quickly. I don't know. Like, what did you think as far as the insult of being sent to the file room? Was right. that enough for you to send us off on that? that I mean, that literally is what the plot kind of hinges upon, right? Yeah, a difference of opinion between Mathau and, and Beatty. Pretty much, and 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 I feel exactly the same way as you do because it just feels like as a setup, it doesn't feel like it sets up the rest of what happens in the movie. There's an operation that happens in Munich that all seems to go well, except that Meyerson doesn't like the fact that he let this guy go, so then yeah. he, he's going to demote him, and Mathau's like, "You won't demote me," and then his thought is, "I'm going to." at least make this guy think that I'm going to take down the CIA and like all these organizations throughout the world. Right. And I guess my thing is, unless I missed something and maybe I did, or maybe it just wasn't dramatized to the point where it like stuck with me. It's like, I I don't really feel the connective tissue between those two things outside of Mathau's mad and wants to do something 
to Meyerson that will upset him. <laughs> well, and let me ask you this: Does does Mathau, <laughs> at least in the in the the role that he gives here, does he strike you as the kind of person who would get that upset about? No, <laughs> about uh, that he would. I mean, like I kept wondering, like, well. Like, can he just request like another meeting with somebody else? Like, he, right? It, it, he surely has been doing this longer than Ned Beatty has. It definitely, I get that sense. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. Is I feel like who Walter Matthau seems like he is. I would expect him to go in, have that meeting. Meyerson's like, "You're demoted. You let that guy go." And Matthau be like, "Oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll be demoted." And then he'll just keep doing whatever he's doing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, like, I feel like to, to get him to the point where he's going to try and wreck Meyerson's life, it seems like Meyerson would have had to be a brilliant son of a bitch yeah. who just, like, totally screwed Mathau's life up. And then Mathau would do what the rest of the movie, what he does. Because otherwise it feels very outsized. It kind of feels like a tantrum. It almost, yeah, I know. Like, I was thinking when you said that, it almost maybe would work a little, maybe it would have been a slightly stronger if Mathau was about to apprehend somebody from the KGB and then Meyerson pulled him off, you know, right. then it was like, no, you've been at it for two years. You haven't done it. You, I don't, I don't want to hear it. You're done. Mm-hmm. It's over. Come home. You know, that kind of thing. And then he's upset. You know, it's like, it's just like a difference of opinion of how to do a job that they agreed needs to be done. And, right. and it's not in the way that it's presented, I guess. It's almost even more lackadaisical in the sense that, once Mathau flees country, he hasn't at that point actually decided to write the memoir. That happens a little bit later. Mm-hmm. He goes back to uh, Austria. He meets up with Glinda Jackson. I, I did like her introduction scene. Like It seems like Mathau is just having a conversation with a local about wine. And she's really, really into wine. She's like the biggest <laughs> wine snob. And he knows nothing about it. And it's just, you know, like his banter is great, right? Like it's, you can watch those scenes all day long and not be annoyed by them because he's so good. But again, it just, it sort of like adds to like this like pleasant, playful tone. And then, you know, you find out pretty quickly in a rather, I don't know, graphics, a strong word, a pretty hard French kiss there between the two of them uh, at the table that, oh, okay, they have a history together. Mm -hmm. And it's not long after that and they're back at her place. Like we find out she's... A widow, uh, she used to work in some sort of spy organization. I think they work together. Mm-hmm. She also has connections to that KGB agent, Yazkov, who was friendly with Mathau in the opening at Oktoberfest. Yeah. And find out that Yazkov wants to meet him again, and he's heard that, you know, Mathau left the CIA and offers him a chance to be a double agent, basically, and work with KGB. And, you know, Mathau says, oh, that's, you know, it's a hard way to earn money. It's not really me. KGB guy's like, well, what are you going to do? You going to sit around and write your memoir or whatever? Uh, it, you know, it right. wasn't exactly like that, but that's what planted this seed, right? Right. So, again, like, all that stuff kind of happens pretty quickly in quick succession, maybe. And maybe it's not like the, the, the time that is happening in the movie. It's just that we haven't really l- learned a ton about Mathau at that point. Right. And maybe that's the bigger issue here is that – he just, I don't know who he is aside from a one-time CAA guy who's maybe a yeah. little long in the tooth. The idea of him writing a memoir, even that, like at the offset, it doesn't come across that threatening because I'm like, well, what has this guy been into? I don't know. Like he seems, still seems right. like my grandpa, you know? 
Did you know that that kind of was the plot going in, that that's what the device was going to be, was that he was going to do this tell-all? Yes, I did know that. That sounded interesting to me. Yeah. Although I, I didn't think at all that it was going to go this way. I thought he was going to find out that something was going on in the CIA that he needed to expose. Yeah, as a classic whistleblower kind of exactly. thing, you know, which is always but, fascinating. Right, right. And and it's, you know, it's it's one guy against the system. And if he's math out, he's super smart. This would be really great. But it kind of feels like he's doing all of this just to mess with Meyerson. <laughs> yeah. And everybody already thinks that Meyerson is an ass. Yes. Like, it's not like anybody likes him or thinks he's smart. Right. So it does seem very weird. I mean, it's almost like a like a senior in high school, like picking on some kid in the fourth grade. A little bit, yeah. I mean, and to illustrate that, let me just uh, describe this moment that happened prior to the demotion. And we, we sort of see this unfold in Beatty's office. He's talking on the phone to his wife, which I think he takes the call in the middle of his meeting with Mathau. And they're talking about a, a vacation house they have near Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the wife doesn't want to go there for the summer. And so he's like, well, just we don't have to go. You just, you know, tell so-and-so at the real estate agent to put on the market as a rental. No kids, no pets, no Democrats. That's a great line. It's a nice little bit of color for that character. And it does sort of like quickly tell you who this guy is. I think he's, it's implied or, or stated overtly that he's sort of just been appointed to this position relatively recently. Right. And it's kind of like a political appointment, obviously, right? That also kind of comes back into play later on, but it's, it, it is like it's it's all part of math out trolling this guy. You know, it's because what little we've seen of both of them we know we're supposed to like Mathal pretty easily, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Like, that's fine if there is some sort of bigger bigger revelation about Beatty, I think. Yeah. There really isn't. I mean, no. in fact, the details we get from the tell-all and, like, sort of like the way the cat and mouse plot of the second act really works is Mathau is mailing out chapters at a time to various places, including the CIA and including Beatty himself. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of dialogue about the stuff that's contained in them, but it, you know, it's, I don't know. I felt like it just kind of glazes over you because it's not personal. I don't, I don't remember any of it being specifically right. personal to Beatty. Oh, and we haven't seen any of it. Like, we haven't really seen whatever the corruption is or the dirty tricks, you know. And Meyerson, doesn't seem like Meyerson really engineered his appointment in some weird way. No, yeah. Like, he just seems to be a guy who's either in over his head or just has a different style of doing things. Maybe he's an idiot, but... Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, he's an idiot. Like, what are you going to do? Right. But that is the thing that I was wrestling with a little bit because what math I was doing like in reality would be a massive deal. I mean, that yeah. would be hugely threatening. You would certainly be sought for treason among other things. I mean, like mm-hmm. you would be a wanted man, public enemy number one with the yeah. American government immediately. Yeah, I do feel like that comes across at times, but it never quite resonates with the main character himself. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, again, like he never really seems like he's afraid. Right. He seems like he's playing Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, and he's Carmen San Diego, right? <laughs> right. So with that in mind, I don't know if we'll harp on that some more, but let, let's just talk about like the cat and mouse and the plot stuff. What were some of the things that you liked about that? Because I do think there's some clever little turns that he pulls off. Yeah. Any of those stand out to you? 
My favorite was that he, he that he rented out the home. Yes. <laughs> Again, if Meyerson had been a real son of a bitch, who was just very you know arrogant and was just like ah like I I'm smarter than you, pal. And then Mathau was doing this, like that would have been great. Like all that stuff was great. And because he's in the house, he he basically leads them all there. Yeah. And indirectly causes lots of damage to the uh, to the house, which was great. Yeah. Oh, it's great. He gets them to basically, uh, he gets Ned Beatty and all the CIA to open fire on Ned Beatty's own vacation home yeah. by, you know, setting up a string of firecrackers that go With off. Ned Beatty there watching it happen. Yeah. Totally and, uh, clever move, I thought. Sure. Clever bit of writing. I really thought that was fun. Yeah. And, and a neat little thing. I even liked the little stuff, like, I think one of the first kind of, like, oh, was... We know that Mathau has left Austria and went to Switzerland, I believe. He got fake passports. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got to sing some opera because we've established oh, that Walter lots Mathau... Lots of Mozart. Yeah. As a person, loves Mozart. So this movie is chock full of it. But there's a phone call that comes in to the CIA, I think, and they trace it. And sure as shit, he's in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And like, you know, those are just nice little moves. Plus, like, this is an era where you still had phone booths. So right. you get the guy at the phone booth, and then that sends him to the phone booth, and he's left, like, his fake ID in the phone book itself. Can't do that with cell phones these days, man. Like, that Not whole so sort of, like, device would have been just falling apart. But I like that kind of stuff, you know? It's just, I don't know. It's, like, fun little writing, and, like, it felt like, like, that's a proper way to kick off, like, your second act, man. Like, you know, it's like, okay, he's on the run. He's already outsmarting them. It's a matter of when will they kind of catch up to his plan. Right. And at what point do they get slightly ahead of him, if at all? I, I don't want to, like, overlook the fact that while Mathau was staying at Ned Beatty's house, vacation home, and working on the memoir with his typewriter, there's a great photo of Ned Beatty himself framed yeah. with this. <laughs> it's almost like a frown, but not quite. It's just this amazing look of shock or sorts <coughs> on Beatty's face. I love yes. this. There's lots of little things like chartering a seaplane and yeah. planning to go to, where were they going to go? St. Martinique or Jamaica and then going somewhere else. Yeah. And you realize, like, it's just like the way Mathau does these things, he's so good at being able to portray it as like oh it's just like a spontaneous decision and then the payoff is no he's really thought this all the way through right it's hard not to appreciate that stuff i think as a a writer because that that stuff is kind of hard to figure out you know oh absolutely i mean that's i love that kind of this this kind of movie where you know yeah somebody has this elaborate plan and they have the capability of pulling it all off but it always kind of takes it right back to the place of I wish that the target of this plan was, like, worth it. Yeah. Like, he was proving something. Or, in laying this plan out, he, you know, actually captured the person that they wanted to have captured at the beginning or something, you know? That, that, that it wasn't Yazkov, but it was some other goal that they had. And because, you know, well, you didn't, you didn't achieve the goal, so you're out. And right. And so then not only did he spend the whole movie clowning Meyerson, but he also achieve the goal thereby proving that he should have been allowed to do it in the first place yeah but none of that is happening he's just clowning myerson and 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 it just it's kind of like well that'll just have to do and it it got to the point for sure where i just like found myself like asking like again like is he i mean is he just doing this for fun and then finally there's a moment where we find out that he's in england 
Mm-hmm. He's spoken to a very small publisher who's you know meeting with Beatty and Sam Watterson and saying, "Look, this thing is getting published. I, you know, if something happens to me, it's there's copies sealed with instructions to publish it. It's coming out. You know, you guys are chasing your tail. Um, they're still looking for Mathau, and this guy tells them, well." You're obviously not looking that hard because he's at this blank hotel. They go to that hotel. Obviously, Mathau's not there, but he's left, you know, tapes for them saying this and that. But when Sam Watterson goes to his own hotel room, boom, there's Mathau. And I think this is the only time in the movie he's got a gun. One of the two, yeah. He ties him up and tells him, finally, and I I do think this is well over halfway through the movie. I I don't remember exactly what Watterson said, but it it, essentially amounts to, you know, why why are you doing this? You're not this kind of guy, Mathal. And he says, you know, he tried to emasculate me, he being Beatty. Right. And I retaliate. Yeah. I like that line. It felt like it probably came from the novel. (laughs) And and that character was a darker dude in the novel. To me, like I, I was yeah. just like, he retaliated like that. You don't seem like the retaliating type of dude, even when you're no. actually retaliating, you know. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. At least he says it, whether or not <laughs> it holds a lot of water uh, right. towards the outcome or not. I liked we got the the spy hunter moment where Mathau's out running these guys in a truck that he's bought off a guy, and it's got two barrels of like motor oil in the back, <laughs> and he's like unleashes the motor oil and causes the oil slick for the guys that are following him. Classic, um, classic, right? There's a moment where one of the CIA guys has been basically staking Glenda Jackson's house in Austria the whole time. And she calls him in, and they almost have a discussion, blah, 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 about following. She pours him a drink. It's like, oh, let me go get you some ice. And when she leaves, she basically, like, leaves. She literally leaves the country, if I'm not mistaken. She drives yeah. off, and this guy knows that she's leaving, but there's her Doberman at the doorframe. And, like, he, we, it's already been established that this guy's scared to death of this Doberman. So great. I was like, well, Jesus, yeah, that's a pretty nice little trick there. By the way, she goes and gets on a ferry of sorts that... Did you notice a that hovercraft? Fairy? Yeah, it's like a hovercraft. It's yeah. crazy. That was fantastic. I know. I've never seen one of those like that. No. It was nuts. It was like big old propellers on it and everything. So that was kind of cool. But let, let's talk about these last. Fu- fu- I don't know the word I was getting ready to say. That last. It sounded like I was getting ready to cuss. Last couple <laughs> maneuvers by Math out here. Yeah. There's a big one where he's already bought a plane. We've seen this happen in England. Right. This little warplane. And uh, it's clear that. You know, Mathal knows a bit about planes. and I buy that. That makes sense. He's a CIA agent, whatever, probably ex-military in some capacity. He's set it all up where he's basically going to meet Glenda Jackson in the morning, very early, and they're going to leave from a certain point. He's just got to do these last few things, deliver that last chapter. It's around here where it does seem like the CIA have called up to his plan. And the plan goes a little bit awry when Mathal goes to get into his car and he gets a flat tire. And then who rolls by but a patrol car and two police officers. And you think, okay, this finally we're about to get some tension here. Well, A, he doesn't have a spare tire in this car, the rental car. So the police officers give him a lift back to the station because they're like, there's not a rental place or a garage that's going to be open for another two hours. Just come back with us. And at the police station, Craig, I don't know, man. I, I thought this was slightly lazy here or just, I don't know. I didn't quite buy it. Something happens where the power is cut. 
Mm, no. Does he just pull out a plug from the lamp? What he, is going on? He does. Well, here's the thing. He does exactly what my six-year-old did not long ago. He takes some metal in the form of a paperclip, puts it on the prongs of an electric cord, and plugs that into the outlet, which back then causes a short circuit and, like, blows fuses and all the lights go out. Right. Whereas now it just throws sparks all over the place and scares the shit out of everybody. Okay. And gets your uh, your kid grounded, right? Oh, my kid's been grounded for the last two years. <laughs> Uh, she'll be fine. But yeah, I, I, I was watching that and like I couldn't... What was so great about that sequence is it almost felt like parody because they're all very close to each other. One guy's oh my gosh, across the yeah. desk. The other one's standing right beside him. And the whole time he's kind of like got one hand under the desk and another hand back behind him. And he's like just doing the weirdest stuff. And no one's like, what are you doing? Yeah. What, what are you... What's going on? But the whole time he's just like... You're not seeing me do this. You're not seeing me do that. I just didn't follow some of that. I don't know. I was taking notes. Maybe I looked down at the wrong time. But either way, I found it hard to believe that even with the lights out, I mean, they had windows. Right. uh, It's so dark that he's able to sneak out of there without either one of them, like, following. And it's at least light enough for him to, to grab the car keys off the desk, which, may, I don't know, maybe he was just like, he knew where to grab because he was looking at it for like, anyway, I was like, well, that dad doesn't quite feel of the same as some of these other clever little moments no. here. And also, I just found myself the whole time, I'm like, did he plan to go to the police station? Like, what's, is this part of the right. <laughs> the whole bit here or what? <laughs> anyway. It, it wasn't, I don't think. He hurries to the spot where the plane is. Ah, but the CIA is on him. They're there in the helicopter. He tries. He hurries. He gets the plane started. He takes off in the plane. He's doing barrel rolls and stunt rolls as the helicopter's flying, and Ned Beatty's leaning out, shooting at him with a pistol, shooting at this plane. And then the plane... I don't know. How do we want to describe it? What happens to the plane? Well, he's shooting at, at this plane with a pistol i mean the plane blows up it just straight up blows up right it just completely straight up explodes and just goes right down into the water i think yeah which is a clue that something odd happened here right yeah i would feel like you know if if myerson was very confident of his sharpshooting abilities maybe he would buy that it seems it seems weird that everyone would watch that happen and be like yeah yeah, he shot the plane with a thirty-eight, and it blew up into a fireball and <laughs> fell he, fell all the way down. But, right. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I was, I was like, well, is there is there a point on a plane you can just shoot with a bullet and make it blow up like a, just a pistol? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it by all appearances, that is the end of of Walter Matthau. Right. Only, it's not. Even Cutter knows that. He had a remote control for that plane, right? That's right. So, he has faked his death, and he goes and he meets Glenda Jackson, who's asleep in a car, and he gets in, and they drive off. And Mm. the book comes out. It's called Hopscotch, because that's Mm -hmm. a great title. It goes on to be a bestseller, and then uh, uh, a man who looks a lot like Walter Matthau in a beard and turban. (laughs) <laughs> goes into a bookstore and asks about the book and the man himself. By all the press there, it was published posthumously. Yeah. So it seems like everyone believes he's dead. 
but we know better, and Glenda Jackson knows better. And she tells him to take off that damn disguise or he's going to get caught. And they go on their merry way into retired life. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I mean, about that explosion. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. You, you really think the CIA is just like, yep, okay, he's dead. He's, this, this guy has been tricking us the whole way here. Right. No need to go do any scuba diving over there. Um, well, yeah, well, yeah, that, that's a good point. So this master plan where he's been completely just destroying, just, just dancing all over the sky. The end of his plan is I'm going to get in a biplane and fly around like a maniac instead of just like flying in a straight direction. I'm just going to fly around this airfield until you shoot me and it explodes. Like, there's and, a lot. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't it have made more sense just to crash the plane into the sure. ground or the ocean and then ex- explode? And then, and then, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, he's he died in a crash like that. I, I would have bought that. Like, yeah. Sure. I also wondered, and it's just how they staged it, I guess. How did he get away from the plane? Because it, like, it at a moment, it, you know, he's cranking yeah. the actual propeller on the plane to get it started. He's right. he's right beside this thing when it appears it takes off in a wide open field. In a wide open field, yeah. how did he step away from there to hide behind like the shed or wherever that was over there, and right. use the remote control without being seen? Yes, I question that, that was a little. That was a little bit of a cheat. I think is a little cheat, right? For sure. That was a little cheatish. So Meyerson, the thing blows up. Meyerson assumes, you know, that Kendig is dead. I know through most of the movie they've been talking about, well, we're going to have to put you, you know, we're going to have to take you out. Yeah. Cutter is like, man, I'm going to have to be the guy who takes you out. Like uh-huh. that kind of thing. And and again, like even though it is, it is a national security risk that this guy is writing this book, I get that. But at the same time, all of that feels so completely outsized. Like when he's finally dead, every you know, everyone who thinks he's actually dead is like, "Good." Yeah. I'm like, but come on, like. Oh yeah. What did he do? Well, he wrote a book. I mean, he definitely wrote a book. I mean, there, there's a lot of. Uh, well, I guess that's the other thing is we don't really get a sense of what that book does, aside from being an international bestseller. Yeah. Did that affect anybody? Yeah, I don't remember. Did they even say that Meyerson got fired? I don't. I don't remember there being anything like about that. I don't either. That would have been at least something, right? Yeah. Huh. So it's like, yeah, he emasculated me. So I wrote a book. I pretended to die. And then I became a best-selling author. It's like, all right. It's a very the the movie doesn't really care about what's what's come before in a weird way. Right. It's not trying to come full circle. No. I guess is what I'm saying. You just have to enjoy it on its own merits. I know. I, I did find myself at one point thinking, like, how hilarious would it, would it be if this is just, like, where they went with the Bourne franchise? Right. Like, at right. this point, like, they, <laughs> yeah. like once Matt Damon just reaches a certain age, it's like, oh, these are pleasant thrillers now. Like, it just the audience yeah. ages with them. <laughs> the cozy thriller. Yeah. That would be so hilarious. He's just playing games with uh, whoever's left in that franchise. I don't even remember. So that's Hopscotch. Where do you recommend this? Because you know, I think both of us were expecting uh, something a little more meaty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe a slightly more thrilling. Yeah. But we, we still had nice things to say about this. So how do you recommend this movie, Craig? 
it's a tough one. You know, when I went in, I, I assumed there were going to be some sequences that I was going to be like, wow, that was that was incredible. Yeah. You know, any any cat and mouse movie will have like a few sequences that are just like, oh, that was great. And there's, there's not really one. I mean, blowing up the house is interesting. Uh, you know, shooting at the house and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And there's some clever turns, but there's no like brilliant turns. There's nothing like really incredible. So, I mean, if you're a Walter Matthau fan... Ned Beatty, you probably like Ned Beatty. You could do worse than to watch this for a couple hours. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a tough one to recommend over everything else that's on Filmstruck. I, I would agree with all that. And yet, again, like, this is a Criterion release. They released it on DVD and yeah. and Blu-ray. So I, I think there's merits to it, and I think it, it must have some fans. Sure. If not for Walter Matthau, you know, for the whole spiel of it. I'm trying to think right now, just offhand, like, what's a better comedic thriller uh the first thing i thought of was burn after reading just probably because the cia overlap but uh sure i mean i don't well, know yeah, that I mean, movie's thrilling necessarily but it and it doesn't do the country hopping that this movie does but it's funny and right it's weird. yeah i wouldn't say it's thrilling that's that's true there's murder in it that's for sure but at the same Blood. time yeah it's it's it has a lot more going on Hold on one second. I'm going to do the laziest thing in the world and type <laughs> in So we can solicit thriller. suggestions and recommendations on in this particular genre, a comedic thriller. The game was hilarious, right? The game was... <laughs> did, did that come up in your search? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, maybe? Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it, uh, there's, it's not a spy one, but actually one that popped into mind was Midnight Run. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah, little yeah. bit. Like, that's moving around. That's a lot of people getting chased and... Yeah. and outsmarting people and so maybe i'll just go with that i i searched comedic thrillers baby driver came up I, fair enough i, I thought that yeah. movie was funny like it uh in bruges i think is is darker sure. than what i think and less thrilling uh i don't know there's other movies like the nice guys there's a ton of stuff i mean they've even got pulp fiction on here which i would probably disagree yeah. with as a thriller but uh, I don't know. Yeah, if you have suggestions out there in this sort of genre. I did think of Fletch. That crossed my mind. But it's been a very sure. long time since I've seen that movie. Although, I don't know. Like, I, it immediately popped up when I'm just, like, looking at Walter Matthau here. I'm like, oh, this is sort of like a Chevy Chase kind of Fletch guy yeah. a little bit, you know? I mean, that's that's probably the most interesting thing thinking about it. And I think you brought it up last time, didn't did you? Did I? Okay, I don't the, know. The, I don't remember. Well, well that well, the Chevy Chase might be kind of our math out. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I think that yeah. was a part of the conversation. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting idea. Is like if he was doing Fletch now, and Fletch was, you know, now a part of the CIA, I might watch that movie. Yeah. Instead, it just seems like he's just home pissing people off and being a grumpy old man. Sorry, Chevy. I know. Too I bad. Know. On that sad note, we should probably wrap this up. Again, Hopscotch is streaming on Filmstruck right now while you still have a chance to watch it. Um, if not, catch it on disc or elsewhere. It's available for rent digitally. I would love to see what other people thought about this movie, especially maybe after listening to this and going and watching it and expecting more of uh, just a, like, a, like a slight kind of fun cat and mouse thing versus something that was maybe playing a little more serious. Uh, and if you check it out, let us know what your thoughts. We're back next time with another tee-up. I'm really excited to watch that particular movie, Craig. I know you hold it in high regard, and we'll get into that Absolutely. next week. So please come join us. Please enjoy your Thanksgiving. Please be kind to your relatives so that they'll be kind to you. Give thanks to places that you can give thanks to. And uh, we're thankful that you're all here listening to this, talking to the wind. I couldn't have said it better, Sean.
Well, try. Any other last words? Uh, <laughs> no. No. I'm not even going to try this time. You nailed it. Awesome. We'll talk to you next time, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.